0: Hey, everyone. This is David Green. I'm the co-founder of Fearless Media and your host here on Left, Right, and Center. This is the show where we take on all the political issues, all of them, even the complicated ones that might be dividing your own family these days. Well, the newly elected Congress has not really even gotten to work yet, and the place is a total mess. California Republican Kevin McCarthy knew he might have a bumpy path to become Speaker of the House, but. This is getting absurd. Vote after vote, he has failed to get the support he needs to assume the job. And this kind of thing hasn't happened in the U.S. for more than 150 years. Republicans do have a slim majority in the new Congress. And so McCarthy needed nearly all GOP members to support him. But he's facing a rebellion from 20 or so hard right election denying Trump backed Republicans, including Lauren Boebert of Colorado, Matt Gates of Florida and Paul Gosar of Arizona, amongst others. We have Moa Lathey back with us. He's executive director at Georgetown University's Institute of Politics and Public Service. Uh, Mo was communications director for the Democratic National Committee and also an advisor to Hillary Clinton. And we have Sarah Isger. She's a lawyer who was spokesperson at the Department of Justice under President Trump and is now a writer, a staff writer at the Dispatch. Mo, Sarah, um, happy New Year to you both and welcome back.
1: Happy New Year. Happy New Year.
0: So, Sarah, what is happening in Congress? What What do you make of this absolute mess?
1: I just want to give people a little bit of insight of what it's like to be in Washington, D.C. right now. It'll be interesting to see if Mo agrees with me on this. There have been so many unpleasant times in the last six years to be in D.C., I mean, you can, I'm sure everyone can think of what some of them might have been. This is not one of those times. It's like a little bit of a block party out there. Everyone's kind of enjoying how many rounds of voting this is going to. There's lots of memes going around and jokes. Drinking games. Yeah, because let's be honest, the stakes here are really low for a few reasons. One, This is a divided government anyway, so it's not like the House was going to have some major sweeping legislation that was going to get signed by the president solving all our problems. No one thought that was happening. Two, the difference between a Kevin McCarthy as speaker or a Steve Scalise as speaker is it might be mildly interesting to the three of us, but it is zero to, you know, the country and what happens in the future. So what we're talking about here, big picture, is what this means in terms of maybe the rules change. Maybe this goes back to a pre- Pelosi, Haster, Newt Gingrich style consolidation of power within the Speaker that I do think has dramatically changed how Congress works, but also who's willing to even run for Congress. Because if being a member of the House no longer is a legislative job, because really it's just the Speaker who gets to decide every single thing, then you're not going to have people who want to be legislators. And we're seeing that. So maybe that could change. That would be fun. Um, And The most likely scenario, though, is that not really. Instead, you just have two years with an incredibly weak speaker, whoever that may be, probably multiple speakers, and a very disjointed Republican caucus as they continue to battle with what it means to be a Republican, what Republicans are fighting for and standing for, and that's not going to get resolved till 2024 anyway. So sit back, enjoy.
0: Okay, I have many things I want to say because I I, I I love the idea that this is fun theater in some ways, but I feel like there are some stakes here to talk about. But Mo Mo, let me let you jump in first. What what are what what do you make of this? Are
2: you enjoying this too, like Sarah is? Look, I, I think um, uh, the closer you are to Kevin McCarthy's office. The less fun this is <laughs> I don't think the, I don't think uh, they're there joining are many smiles in, in there yeah, I- yeah. in the yeah. block there's party there's no dancing going on there uh, there's plenty of dancing going on over at the Democratic National Committee they're loving watching this um, you know we've talked about this before on the show but I do think so much of our politics our elections today are driven by people just desperate to get the grown-ups back in the room. Uh, and it sure doesn't look like grownups are in charge over in the house at this point. So you know, I, I, I think in terms of who's celebrating and who's not, it it's pretty clear. But maybe nobody is celebrating more. No one is having. I mean, these twenty uh, holdouts, the 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 ultra MAGA crew in the house, they brought the block party into the House chamber, right? They're loving every minute of this. They are getting everything they want, which is not rules changes. What they want is attention. I mean, I just said their names. They're getting that. Like, they're getting people talking about them. Right? I mean...
1: But that's not all 20. I think it, we have to be right. clear. You're right. That's not like, all 20.
2: I do, think that there's a, I do think that there's some there, people like Chip Roy, who I think really is um, approaching this from a place uh, of good faith and, and sort of ideological concerns but people like Lauren Bobert, Matt Gates, like I don't not think serious. they have an ideology, right? to have <laughs> right. Uh, to have this driven by ideology.
1: Nihilism is an ideology, concerns.
2: Mo? Here's where I disagree a bit with you, Sarah. I think okay. that you know, and maybe this is what you were alluding to, David. I do think that the stakes are not all that low. I do think that the way this is playing out you're right. It may be McCarthy. It may be Scalise. But if in order to secure enough votes to become the speaker, that person has to give away too much, that could have very real consequences. One of the things they're talking about in terms of the changes are how how the next speaker deals with the debt ceiling, for example, which the credit rating of the United
0: States went down last time there was a, a prolonged debate over the debt ceiling. I mean, that that's a huge deal for
2: a lot of reasons. And if these people who are saying, no way, no hell, we ever want a vote to increase the debt ceiling, get their way as part of these negotiations, just so that Kevin McCarthy or whomever can sit in the Speaker's office, that does have very real consequences. Look, I think... Kevin McCarthy might still pull this off. I think it's unlikely. He might still pull it off. He might get the votes to be speaker. But if I was a Republican in Congress, the question I'd be asking is not how does he get the votes to be speaker? The question is, can he get the votes to do anything else after that? And and I think it, what what is happening right now is the further empowerment of a group of nihilists, using your word, Sarah, who can wreak havoc on some very real issues more so than they have because they are being further empowered. And I don't know what the path is out of that, but it seems like every day they're, they're getting, they're being emboldened to do more of that. May not matter in the speaker vote, but it will matter on the other votes.
0: Well, not just that, but Sarah, I'm wondering not, not just the kind of stakes that Mo's talking about on issues like the debt ceiling, but I mean, we talked about the, the legacy of Pelosi as speaker on this show and the importance of leadership. I mean, from either party, the importance of a, a strong speaker of the House, which doesn't appear like we're heading in that direction, whatever happens here. I mean, it isn't that bad for the country?
1: Oh, no, I totally disagree with that. In we fact, don't. I think one of our big problems has been having speakers that are too powerful And so what you, you know, you go back to that pre-Newt Gingrich era, the House of Representatives looked so different. Every single member was contributing to the legislative conversations, drafting, amendment process. And then when you get to Newt Gingrich, for reasons that, you know, made sense after the 94 revolution, uh, Newt Gingrich takes away a lot of that power. So you were no longer going to have um, a situation where the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee was probably more powerful than the Speaker of the House. By consolidating that power and leadership, um, you know, what are those backbenchers doing there at some point? They're just a vote. That's all. Then you fast forward into the Pelosi era. She totally consolidates power in her alone so that everyone else is only a vote. The minority is going to have no say in anything. The changes, the, the Procedural changes, again, set aside the nihilists, and we don't know how many of them there are. If there are five, this whole conversation is sort of different than it was, right? But none of these speakers are going to happen with if there's just five holdouts that, you know, YOLO this whole thing.
0: But what if we go to war? I mean, don't you want a strong leader? Like, I mean, I mean.
1: No, 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 no. I want a house. I want a Congress that works, because what we've seen for the last 30 years is what happens when you have a legislative branch that no longer legislates. It means that the president starts having to try to solve every problem through executive action. Then he ends up in court having to defend why that's constitutional. The courts half the time are like, oh, it's not constitutional. Congress actually has to do that.
0: So weaker speaker means that that like the White House has more people to negotiate with because power is not consolidated.
1: Yes. And it also, by the way, the changes that like the Chip Roy crew wants are the same changes that the squad wanted and the progressive caucus within the Democratic side wants. Those changes will empower them um, actually probably more than the Republican uh, uh, majority at this point if those changes go through, because it'll mean that you know, it won't take nearly as many people to put an amendment on or to have their piece of legislation actually reach the floor. We don't live in a Mr. Smith goes to Washington Congress right now. And we should.
0: Well, Mo, we've talked about that. I mean, recently on this show, the, the democratization of democracy and sort of the power of the parties being less consolidated and weakening. Do, do you do you agree with Sarah? I mean, we're seeing that on both sides and, and the squads kind of power within the Democratic caucus is is sort of similar in a, in, in a way here.
2: Look, I think that there are very real conversations that can be had about how much power the speaker should have, regardless of the party. I think those are all legitimate conversations. And while I'm not ideologically aligned with him, I give credit to the Chip Roy's of the world who are making this about that. But Sarah said it a few minutes ago and why this whole uh, spectacle is so disheartening. You know, people want a Congress that works and what the nihilist crew among these 20 and it does seem like there are at least 5 of them what they want is a congress that doesn't work they don't care about congress getting anything done in fact you know some of them i think would probably be just as fine remaining in the minority because their whole goal is to roll grenades into rooms and and stop things from happening There's a role for that in the conversation, right? But people want a Congress that works. And one, what they are seeing is a Congress that can't get to work. And two, if if McCarthy gives away the store, fully empowers these people to be able to hold anything hostage— then I think voters will get incredibly frustrated because nothing will work from that point forward. You need a speaker with a certain amount of power in order to ensure that things get done. Sarah?
1: The nihilists, yeah, the nihilists are a symptom of these procedural problems. As I said, it's a totally different incentive of who even wants to run for Congress. Do you wanna sit there and have no actual power, no ability to pass legislation or even propose an amendment? You know, they haven't passed a budget in I don't know how many years, just doing it through these omnibus bills. And that's how you end up with the nihilists because the people who then wanna run for Congress, they're not hiring legislative staff when they get there. Why would they?
0: Whose job is it to fix Congress then?
1: It looks like it's Chip Roy's right now.
0: Why do you say that?
1: (laughs) Because he's the only one who actually seems to be willing to go to the mat over this stuff because everyone else, you know, aspires to be speaker someday or they like not having to take hard political votes. This is the other thing that these procedural changes will do. It will allow a minority of members to force everyone else to take votes on hard questions that could actually pin them down for their next election. It's hard being a member of Congress.
0: You see this as a moment where we should step back and be like, this chaos is happening for some, some foundational reasons and, and Congress needs to be fixed because it's completely broken.
1: Think of it like tectonic plates. If the tectonic plates don't shift by a little bit, they will shift suddenly and bigly. <laughs> and this th- that's what we're happening. This is actually a good process if we can get those procedural changes because it could change who runs for Congress in the first place, and you won't have more people who are just looking to build a career on cable news or their online fundraising base or whatever else. We could actually have people who are thoughtful policy legislators.
0: What What's the most important procedural change that you would like to see coming out of this?
1: Um... I- I would like to see the threshold for when things can come to the floor lower dramatically so that members are having to take hard votes because right now they feel so protected and coddled by the power of the speaker. The speaker is going to protect them, them being you know, members of their own party. They're up for election every two years. That's tough. And so why have a hard election when you could have an easy one and not have to take any votes at all?
2: Mo, do you agree with that? The, 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 there's a Potential that what you're talking about could have the exact opposite effect, you know. And we've talked about the incentive structure in Congress on the show before. You know, when someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene can say crazy things and um, and get stripped of her committee assignments and not care uh, because she can raise $3 million dollars, yeah, right. She can right. So what you're seeing is a system that because of the lack of a strong party structure, strong caucuses, individual members are have the potential to get celebrity. They, when they see that a, that five members can dig their heels in and get on Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity's show every night and raise a ton of money just for being obstructionists, there's going to be an incentive for a lot of people out there to say, oh, well, I can do that. I should run for Congress and do that. So I don't think it's as big of a slam dunk of a fix as maybe you do, Sarah. I think it has what we are watching now, the spectacle we are seeing now has the potential to be a tremendous recruiting tool for more obstructionists to come uh, and run for Congress because they see that they can get the that spotlight that so many of, of, of these – uh, folks are, are relishing in. All
0: right, we're going to to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back to talk a little bit more about this and uh, also talk about two unlikely bedfellows who are working together on infrastructure. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center.
3: You're hearing civilized yet provocative opinions from across the political spectrum. Now we need to know what you think. Tweet us at LRC KCRW.
0: Okay, we're back again with Left, Right and Center. I'm David Green. Moa Alethe and Sarah Isger are here. Um, Before we move on, can we talk a little bit more about a name that kept coming up, which is Chip Roy, uh, the congressperson from Texas who you're talking about, Sarah, as kind of being a hero in all of this. But, you know, he's sort of been also responsible for holding up a lot of the, the process that we're seeing in the House. Why are you looking to him as someone who is sort of a savior?
1: I'll be really honest. I've actually known Chip for more of my life now than I haven't known Chip. Chip and I sat next to each other on the very first campaign I ever worked on, the 2002 race uh, for John Cornyn for Senate. Um, And then, you know, I've, I've worked with him or next to him or near him. um, Basically my, my whole career, my husband's worked for him and with him. So uh, I do consider, you know, I know Chip very well, Um, but what, chip has said he's for here just makes a lot of sense historically. And look, Mo's right, but I don't care because (laughs) at some point you have to take the risk to fix these institutions. And let me compare it to something else, which is like I mentioned on the president, the executive branch uh, taking over through all these executive orders and Uh, than the courts having to step in and what the courts have often been saying recently, which always frustrates people of the party that has the White House, is nope, you can't do that. Congress has to do it. And even when it's, you know, an intransigent problem that we need a solution to, What I want the Supreme Court to do is strike down more of those executive actions, force Congress to actually do more through what's called, you know, the major questions doctrine, this idea that if Congress didn't clearly give that power to a regulatory agency within the executive branch, then nope, the agency doesn't get to do that. Now, it's the same um, I think, risk that Mo talks about. Okay, but what if Congress just still doesn't do anything, but now the president can't do anything either, or those you know administrative agencies, so just nothing gets solved anymore? Yeah, in the short term, maybe that'll happen. I don't like that, but we're trying to build a healthy, functioning constitutional democracy here. And so we've got to get back to those checks and balances and three branches of government each sticking in their own lanes. And right now it's like a three legged stool, except the Congress leg is a foot shorter than the others. We've got to find a way to make Congress great again.
0: (laughs) But Mo, isn't isn't Chip Roy potentially just sort of wrapping his own sort of motivations and the agenda that he wants in larger sort of... Talk about procedural improvements in Congress. Like I, I'm just, I'm just skeptical.
2: Yeah, I, and look, I don't know. I, I give credit to anyone who plants a flag and wages a fight based on true beliefs and based on ideology. Even if I disagree with it, I, I can at least appreciate that. That's what uh, a democracy, a constitutional republic, is is all about. Um, and so, if he is genuinely trying to From his perspective, force changes that he thinks will make the body work better. Great. But I don't think that is, I don't think that's enough in order to break this stalemate, right? We're spending a lot of time talking about the motivations of the people who are holding the process up. Uh, you know, look, my concern is not just that, the process being held up. My concern is just the ineptitude that we've seen come from McCarthy in in, in trying to navigate all of this. He, you know, the fact that he didn't sit down with Chip Roy until two days ago to begin having these conversations is unfathomable to me. The fact that he knew he had was going to face some some obstacles, but just kind of assumed he could walk into the role, he should have been having these conversations over the last two months ever since it was clear that the Republicans had the majority.
0: Well, it's been a hundred years since it went to this many votes. I mean, I, I could see him thinking like, oh, you know, my caucus is acting like this; they could hold this up, but...
1: He moved into the Speaker's office. How obnoxious was that? That was just to antagonize these people? How did he think that was going to turn out? I, I do just... It's worth noting, Mo, that the changes that Chip wants are the same changes that the left was pressuring Pelosi for. They just weren't going to go to the mat for them. But, you know, lest people think this is ideological or conservative or something. It's not. Both flanks want these changes.
2: What I'm, but, but, you know, look, it seems like Roy and McCarthy are trying to hammer out a deal. And I think they could probably come up with one. I still don't know that it breaks the stalemate, though, because the nihilists don't care. They keep saying they want these things, but they keep moving the goalposts. They really—it's personal to them. They just don't want Kevin McCarthy, and and the fact that McCarthy has allowed it to get to this point. If he manages to peel away enough of these obstructionist votes to actually get the job, he is going to be coming in as not just a weak speaker, but I think an ineffective speaker. I. You and I may disagree on how much power the speaker should have, but I want a speaker that's got some power in order to shepherd through important things. I'm not willing to roll the dice on the full faith and credit of the United States.
0: Can I ask you too about your your disagreements? Because I want to I want to move on a little bit to to this this concept of bridge building and and overcoming differences in Washington, which seems so lovely in concept. Um, Mo, you, you were at the DNC while, Sarah, you were at the Republican National Committee. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And you met, can you remind me of the story of how you met? I would love our, our listeners to, to know it.
1: Oh, our meet cute. Mo, do you want to do it?
2: Why don't you do it? You tell our origin story. <laughs> Don't all go at once.
1: So the RNC and the DNC are about two blocks from each other. And uh, in between those two blocks are sort of this row of a couple restaurants and at the time, a lot of food trucks. And so that's where everyone went every day, regardless of your party. You had to go eat for lunch. And so Mo and his team and the Republican team, we'd often just be in line waiting for food together. And I think Mo and I struck up a beautiful friendship over falafel and fries, you know, some of it ribbing each other, giving each other grief, but like through that, you respect the other person's principles and, um, and why they're doing the job. I think that's what struck me most about Mo is just how deeply he, he loves the country, obviously, but, um, how deeply he believes in the mission of working in this industry. And I love that. It's why I'm here too.
2: Yeah, I I agree with all that. I mean, I think... (laughs) One of the things that makes working in politics so challenging in this digital era that we live in, where a lot of times political figures and frankly political staff are nothing more than avatars to one another, um, is that lack of just human interaction and connection, right? I mean, it's easy to, it's a lot easier to start striking up a conversation with someone when you both are standing at the same window or placing the same order. And taking, comparing notes on how good those fries or and falafel is, right? We just can connect with each other on a human basis. The rest of it can flow from there, um, and and I think that's lacking uh, too much, right? This is people have talked about this for for a while, but the fact that members of Congress don't live in Washington anymore—it's crazy. I mean, that's has changed, changed everything. The, everything. It changed the relationships. Their kids aren't on the same sports team. They're not bumping into each other at the supermarket. They're not able to just like hang out with one another to develop those relationships that you need in order to get things done. Sarah and I got to know each other just as two people wanting the same meal. And then we'd go back to our offices and put out press releases bashing one another and then <laughs> meeting up the next day at the food truck And to rib each other about the press releases that you're joking about those press releases.
1: (laughs) And it gives you the basis to have those substantive disagreements. Like if Mo thought we put out something unfair or vice versa or, you know, that you can you can come to it from a place of shared something. If you're only constantly talking about these really hard problems that don't have an easy solution or they would have been solved already. You can start assuming the other person's motivations. And that's where things get bad. And so, yeah, if instead you can sort of start from a place of humor and, you know, hey, your hair is stupid or whatever, (laughs) um, it helps with those substantive conversations.
0: Well, let me let me get your insights based on everything you just said, which I love. I mean, because we saw something that we hadn't seen in a long time. This week, President Joe Biden and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell were doing bridge building. I mean, literally bridge building because they came <laughs> together to celebrate the building of a bridge between Kentucky and Ohio. It's part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, it was Biden was gushing over McConnell, he was describing him as a friend, a colleague, a man of his word. And I think back to McConnell like a year and a half ago saying 100 percent of his focus was going to be on stopping the Biden administration. So I just wonder, can I make this assumption that when Biden and McConnell are, you know, for example, McConnell, quote, putting out a press release a year and a half ago saying he's going to spend 100% 100 of his time holding up the administration, when we actually see them interacting in a moment like this week, are they doing the same sorts of of sort of relationship building that the two of you were doing at that food truck, or is it all political theater because they just both see political benefit to this?
1: Don't forget how long they spent in the Senate together. They're yeah, not coming I mean at they have this. a long it's history. Yeah.
0: yeah, but I mean, are are we in a moment in our politics where that relationship could actually bring compromise and and have an impact, or, or are we past that? I mean, there's there's something very. I feel like I was watching an old movie. I mean, these are two old white guys who like are seem to be thinking that they can go back to politics
2: a decade ago. Well, it was really interesting because it wasn't just the two of them standing there, right? You also had the Democratic governor of Kentucky there. You had the Republican governor of Ohio there. You had senators from both parties there. Uh, And so you did see a coming together behind something for the common good. What was a little disheartening to me. Where there were a couple of people who should have been there who weren't. The new Republican senator from Ohio, JD Vance, did not come. Uh, Rand Paul from Kentucky didn't come. Uh, I, I do think that there is something a little bit old school, right? Everyone who did come had been in the game for a while. There is something a little bit old school, and I think those folks who. do remember and were around during that that era of bridge building and, um, you know, not in a Pollyannish way. I mean, they're all still fierce partisan warriors, but they did come from an era where there was that some level of relationship building and bridge building. Um, I worry about the newer folks, newer folks in the House, newer folks in the Senate who sort of their political coming of age was during this era when, you know, they're much more comfortable engaging in a Twitter fight with someone than walking down the hall into their office to talk it out. Um, So I I think things can still get done. And I think this week was a great example of that. I just hope that that's an example more people take to heart. Sarah, does,
0: I mean, especially if we have a weak speaker in the House, um, does Mitch McConnell, who is not the most dynamic character in American politics does he have the ability to to guide to force the Republican party to do more of this if that's what he truly sees as benefit beneficial to to the party
1: don't be fooled by appearances david and you know his turtle-esque memes i mean this is cocaine mitch we're talking about yeah. he's arguably the most politically savvy uh leader in the Senate that we've seen in decades, um, certainly rivaling and I think exceeding Nancy Pelosi in terms of pure political strategy and acumen. Um, And so absolutely. Also, his members trust him a great deal. He has gotten them reelected, some of them through real tough situations. Um, So absolutely. I mean, to whatever. Does that include
0: people like Vance? I mean,
1: uh, you know, we'll see i think yes is the answer because i think that again it's it's such a contrast from what we see in the house they um they will come to trust him and see his strategies work time and time again and save their butts um and they're coming reelection so uh, Mitch McConnell hasn't lost yet. So like just never bet against cocaine Mitch. The guy is brilliant, ruthless. Agree with him or disagree with him. He's he's the best political strategist out there right now.
0: And he's a, and he's a person who is literally laser focused on on Republicans getting control back of the Senate. I mean, he he does. He's a political laser pragmatist. Yes. So what what is it what does it tell <clears throat> us right in this moment that he is appearing with with President Biden? what does it tell us about how he sees this moment for the party and where he thinks it's best for the party to go?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, he was the one who came out in August and said that the Republicans had a candidate quality issue. Um, I sort of like this... you know, latest chapter of Mitch McConnell, where he just gives interviews and says out loud everything he's thinking. It's really fun to see behind the screen a little bit. Um, So absolutely. He sees Donald Trump as a net loss for the Republican Party. He thinks nominating yahoos is a bad idea. And he thinks that there's a solid five to eight percent of Republican voters who um, are going to split their ticket if Republicans don't show that they're actually interested in getting something done versus appearing on cable news or, you know, talking culture warrior stuff. Um, and so that's what I think that signals from him.
0: All right, we're going to have to take another quick break. Um, we'll be back uh, in just a moment to reflect on an anniversary. Um, I cannot believe it's been two years since the January sixth insurrection at the at the Capitol. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center.
3: Thanks for listening to Left, Right, and Center. Is there someone in your life who could benefit from hearing a civilized discussion from all sides? Share the show with them. You can stream all episodes at kcrw.com slash LRC, straight from the KCRW app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: We're back with more Left, Right, and Center. I'm your host, David Green. I'm with Sarah Isger, staff writer at The Dispatch, and Moa Lathe, executive director at Georgetown University's Institute of Politics and Public Service. Uh, We're marking a grim anniversary. It has been two years since the January 6th insurrection. Then-President Donald Trump had claimed that the election was stolen from him, and he told supporters to march to the Capitol, and a violent mob of more than 2,000 people stormed the Capitol building to try and stop the certification of electoral votes to declare joe biden president uh let's remember at least seven people died from the events that day including five capitol police officers dozens more were injured since then biden was of course inaugurated 900 rioters have been prosecuted for their part in that mob and the january 6 house select committee completed hundreds of interviews delivered a criminal referral to the justice department to prosecute the former president um now we're two years on uh i don't know i i I feel like in a lot of ways we're in the same place, um, but Sarah, I wonder as you reflect on these last two years, like are, are we are we at a place where something like this is is less likely to happen again, more likely? How, how do you see us as we we look back?
1: I do think it's less likely. I'm not sure I would have said that six months ago. So I think that um, the mood of the country shifted after the 2022 midterm elections. I think that Donald Trump has been weakened significantly since the 2022 midterm election in in a couple different ways. So A, obviously the results weakened him greatly. Two, he announces for president and nobody cares, right? Like nobody else is hopping in or reacting to him. Every other potential candidate biding their time, treating this um, like a normal presidential campaign in a lot of ways. And his numbers continue to decline. Number three, just look at this fight over the speaker. You know, Kevin McCarthy asked Donald Trump to put out a statement to see if it could help with the 20 holdouts. He puts out, you know, a a big endorsement of Kevin McCarthy and not a single vote changes. They don't care. I think you can overread that and be like, aha, Donald Trump has no power over the Republican Party anymore. That's not what I'm saying, because I do think that a lot of people don't think that Donald Trump means it. You know, this isn't like it sounded like a full throated endorsement in terms of if you just read the words on the page. But we also kind of all know Donald Trump and um, he doesn't he'll say he never supported Kevin McCarthy if Kevin McCarthy doesn't win the speakership battle. Uh, But nevertheless, it is very different than what the world looked like, especially in those few days after January 6th, you had so many Republicans, including Kevin McCarthy, denounce the president, say that this was his fault. And then a week later, two weeks later, um, they were like, you know, Kevin McCarthy flew down to Mar-a-Lago and all of a sudden it wasn't Donald Trump's fault. That feels like it has moved. And I think the stinging losses, especially on the Senate side. But remember, this entire House fight was caused by the fact that instead of getting 35 seats in the House, they're stuck with a plus five majority. Um, that's because of Donald Trump. And we have data to back that up. Donald Trump cost Republicans about five points. If they had had five points in all of those races, they would have a much. I mean, Kevin McCarthy would be speaker. Mitch McConnell would be majority leader. And we wouldn't we would have had a speaker days ago. So I, I think that that's important.
0: I mean, that that I I everything you're saying makes sense. I, I also just I just feel yeah there was this New York Times Siena College poll um in the fall nearly 60% of people said America's constitutional democracy needs to be overhauled like people don't trust the government and how it functions and and I just feel like there's this simmering hate beneath the surface that someone like a Donald Trump could could just sort of light the fire at any moment and and there are enough people out there who would think that it was worth it to go fight in the way that we saw the insurrectionists doing something so violent that day. I mean, I, I want to believe that we're heading in the right direction, but, but I mean, Mo, how, how worried are you that we could see something like this again?
2: Um, I think it is certainly possible that we see something like this again, because at the end of the day, I actually don't believe this is about Donald Trump. I believe that there are very, very deep fissures in our country right now. Not between Democrats and Republicans, but between different tribes. Now we are polarized along geographic, racial, socioeconomic lines. And it's not just people's distrust in government, it's their distrust in all institutions, Right? I mean, if you look at any survey that, that measures Americans' trust in institutions, there are only two that have a net positive trust rating, and those are the military and firefighters. Every other major institution in the United States is underwater when it comes to, to trust. They've lost trust in institutions, but they've also lost trust in each other. Right? We believe that we and our bubble, we and our tribes are under assault by every other one right? That the paradigm has shifted to from left versus right to front versus back. And everyone feels like they're stuck in the back of the line. Hmm. And that's what I think is driving a tremendous amount of anxiety and a sense of uh, a loss of, of, uh, of identity and community. That is what ultimately allowed January 6th to happen, it's a lack of trust in our institutions and in one another.
0: What a failure of our politics in general that, that so many people feel like they're in the back of the line and not being seen.
2: Yeah, I'm very heartened by the fact that so many people rejected Trump and Trump-like candidates. But I'm hopeful, though I'm not there yet, that they're going to start rejecting this dynamic a little bit more. It used to be a very common line in politics that there's more that unites us than divides us. I think for too many Americans today, they don't necessarily believe that. They do believe that there's more that divides us than unites us. And until we can figure out ways to respect one another, respect other communities, respect other identities a little bit better... We're gonna continue to feel this us versus them mentality that's on steroids right now. That, I think, could lead to another dangerous situation like what we saw on January 6th.
0: I wanna reflect on something else that happened this week. Um, As as many of us know, a young man nearly died playing football uh, in the first quarter of, of Monday Night Football this week. Cincinnati Bengals, Buffalo Bills, Bills defensive back DeMar Hamlin Got up after a hit and then he immediately collapsed on the field. He suffered cardiac arrest. He was given CPR on the field, rushed to a hospital where he fought for his life for several days and, and now miraculously is conscious, um, breathing on his own. And his first question when he was able to start communicating was was whether the Bills won the game, um, <laughs> which was incredible. And uh, I mean, doctors seem optimistic, Saying not only are the lights on, but there's someone home, uh, which is a, a lovely way to put it. And thank God. I mean, Hamlin is an a- extraordinary young man from my part of the world, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He grew up losing so many of his friends to drug and gang violence. His dad was was in prison for much of his childhood. He was recruited by powerhouses like Clemson, but played for the University of Pittsburgh to be close to his little brother and, and serve as a role model. I mean, he. He gives a ton back to his community and has so much more to give, and and it's such a relief that he made it, it through this. But, I mean, as as a you know as a football fan, diehard my whole life, like I've seen a lot of horrific injuries on TV, being in stadiums. It's it's a violent violent sport, and you know often the game goes on, so to speak. I mean, they suspended this one, but the game goes on, football goes on. I, I this just seems like a moment. I mean, I'm I'm curious what you both think. This injury seems to be. Hitting both sports fans and non fans um, really deeply.
1: I'll just say that we lost someone in the ABC family last week from sudden cardiac arrest. And, you know, I do think it's worth remembering that we do lose athletes, young, healthy, um, you know, athletes to sudden cardiac arrest relatively frequently. And, it's so shocking when it happens that we sort of are always casting around for how did this happen? And I think football, unfortunately, has, you know, provides that answer because it is such a violent sport. We don't know that this was caused by the, you know, tackle that he made. There have been doctors who say it could have been caused by that. But of course, it, it doesn't have to be. Um, and we've seen people online with conspiracy theories that it was caused by the COVID vaccine. And Which I, has again, just I... been
0: so awful that that's the way the story has gone. I just want to say that. I mean, it's... I, awful
1: i can't so you know i obviously don't know damar hamlin personally but as someone who absolutely is heartbroken by the loss that we had of our executive producer at this week um the day before christmas eve to see people jump on that and go through his instagram account to prove that he had the vaccine and you know then talk about how like this is why he basically deserved to die and that's why he died
0: that was dax de harry you're talking about right
1: yeah Um, And he left behind Veronica, his gorgeous wife, and his two little girls under two. Like, be a person for a second. So uh, I say all that because... Football may be at fault here, but we don't actually know that yet. And so just in our current media environment, we're so quick to come up with all these scenarios that prove our priors. I am more than willing to wait for someone to tell me why this happened and then discuss, um, you know, football as a sport. Because as we saw with head injuries, for instance, when we got the science behind that, It's changed the entire conversation about whether you have your kid play football. And as the mother of a little boy, it's a conversation um, we have all the time in our house. Like, what if he really wanted to play football? Then would we let him? What if he only kind of wanted to play football? Would we let him? And I'm from Texas. I'm Friday night lights territory here. Um, My husband and I have a bit of a, we're not totally on the same page on this one. I think because culturally I came from such a football place. Um, I'm curious what if Moe's had that conversation with his wife
2: um we have um my parents actually didn't want me playing football back when uh, and this was before all of the science uh uh, we know we knew as much as uh as we know now um and i think you know we'll see what happens if and when our son approaches us with that i i want to look at it through a slightly different prism because i agree like we can talk about whether or not football caused this but there is another uh Outcome, I think, of this whole focus and conversation that's worth noting, and that is, I do believe that this tragic, unfortunate episode humanized athletes in a way that they desperately needed to be. Yeah, I think for I think we too often look at professional athletes as commodities. Um, whether it's by the uh, the system, the their Owners, the team owners, and frankly, by fans, um, that we kind of lose sight that they're real people with real families, with real issues, and who are just as fragile as the rest of us. Uh, maybe not as fragile as someone like me, but you know, <laughs> but but they are real people, and it's unfortunate it took something like this to see that a little bit more. The fact that both teams came together. And you could see the anguish on the faces of 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 the players on the field on both sides of the of the ball and the way um the the anguish that they were feeling in real time the fact that fans reacted the way they did the fact that non fans reacted the way they did I think it's just a healthy reminder of something that um we need to be reminded of and we need to to think about often
0: i mean one of the one of the things that I hope comes out of this is a conversation about healthcare for NFL players, because whether or not this, you know, the sport itself caused this. And I think, Sarah, you make a good point. I mean, we we should wait and not jump to conclusions. I mean, NFL players are only eligible for healthcare after they've played for three years and then they can only use it up to five years after they retire. So that means Hamlin hasn't even been able to take advantage of the NFL's healthcare after he after he collapsed. And, you know, they're they're obviously so many people with lesser means who struggle to find health care and have access to health care. I, I, I completely understand that. But I, I just wonder, you know, if this is going to be a defining moment in forcing the NFL to to think about whether they should do more to take care of players in a sport that, that no one can deny is really violent, but a sport that so many of us, you know, including myself, just love so, so much. So it, it'll be interesting to see where this conversation goes um, and we are going to have to uh, we have to leave the conversation there and it is time to turn to our left right and center rants and raves um, Sarah Isger, I will start with you. What's on your mind?
1: I had trouble picking one this week. Um, So I'm going to rant against the tilt of the earth. I really dislike it because it makes for these really long winter days. But I'm going to turn it into a rave because the good news is we're past the shortest day of the year. And it is my favorite time Right now, these couple weeks, where each day it gets a little longer and the sun sets a little later. And it gives me so much hope. It is the best part of the new year. So rant against the tilt of the earth, but rave that now we're coming up on sunshine.
2: Love that you. I love that you made that turn. Mo. I'm also going to uh, combine a rant and a rave into one. And I'm going to go back to a topic we've already discussed, which was January 6th. There's a gentleman in West Virginia by the name of Derek Evans, a former West Virginia state lawmaker who was at the Capitol on January 6th. One of the the rioters, he served three months in prison for invading the Capitol. He's now out of prison, and he just announced a run for Congress. As part of his announcement, he said January 6th is a day to celebrate. The fact that here we are two years later, and there's still people out there saying things like, we should celebrate January 6th is appalling to me. Uh, and I hope voters uh, feel the same way. The rave though is I'm going to agree w- with the, uh, the notion that there's something to celebrate in one very f- uh, narrow way. And that is um, the Capitol police officers um, who put their lives on the line, who um, faced uh, what appeared to be insurmountable odds um, and uh, several of whom fell. Um, I think they should be celebrated. They deserve our everlasting gratitude for not just protecting members of Congress, protecting the building, but protecting the institution of democracy. And um, my hat is perpetually off to all of them. I'm glad you took a moment for that.
0: Mine is not necessarily a rant or a rave. It's more of a a plea um, to meteorologists Uh, they might not be able to do anything about the tilt of the earth. I'm sorry, Sarah, but um, (laughs) I I admire what they do. I actually watched the Weather Channel enough as a child that people thought I was kind of weird, and I was dreaming of being a weatherman. So if nothing else, I feel like that bizarre choice gave me a better-than-average sort of proficiency when it comes to weather terms, and yet even I've been shocked with these new terms, seemed like new terms to me, that weather people were throwing around far too casually these days. Bomb cyclone, atmospheric river, I mean, these are the phenomena that combine to dump rivers of rain all over California this week. And I'm just saying, if these dramatically named weather events are becoming commonplace, I just need some time to adjust. And when they're part of your forecast, I'm just asking meteorologists to nod to the fact that they sound really terrifying. Like, give me a tad more background, because if you're nonchalantly mentioning that Wednesday's weather forecast includes, by the way, a bomb cyclone, um, that's just not sitting well with me. So, meteorologists (laughs) of the world, I appreciate it. Uh, and that's all the time we have. Um, Sarah Isger and Moa thank you as always. Uh, Left, Right & Center is produced by Sarah Singer Schiff. Our production assistant is Alexander Applegate. Our executive producer is Arnie Seipel. The show is recorded and mixed by Phil Richards. Todd M. Simon composed our theme music. Left, Right & Center is a co-production of KCRW and Fearless Media. I'm David Green. We appreciate you joining us as always and come back next week for more Left, Right & Center.
3: Download and subscribe at kcrw.com slash LRC, the KCRW app, or wherever you find podcasts. Left, Right, and Center is produced and distributed by KCRW.